put a thoroughbred into the blocks, and that thoroughbred is pounding its hoof, wondering why in the world you had this gate closed, because it came with one purpose, and it's ready to run. I feel like a thoroughbred in the blocks. I feel full, ready to run. Don't tempt me. That's why you need that jockey to just hold it because it may run till it bursts its heart. So I need the Holy Spirit to ease in. You give a week. That's a lot. You give two weeks. Man, the word of God is good all by itself. And I haven't even read it yet. I just feel so overwhelmed by the goodness of the Lord. We were singing this last song. And uh, David, my son, was rehearsing this week, getting ready to serve this morning, and I found myself sitting at the kitchen table as he was playing, and just listening to the words, there's another in the fire. You think about what we just sang. This is free. This is not even a sermon, so don't start the time. <laughs> just feels so full of my soul. You think about what we just sang, that if I ever need reminding... Ah, oh, man, how good God's been to me. There's a cross that reminds me that my debt has been paid. There's a grave that reminds me that my soul has been saved. And there's a good God who's with me. See, I just feel my hoof. You know, I just, just let, me, let me loose. I just found myself moved to the point of tears. There was no big show. There were no twinkle lights to set the mood. There was nothing special happening. But the Lord was in that space. Just a guitar and a 17-year-old boy who was singing praise to the Lord, and I just couldn't control it. Because when you think about who God is and what he's done, I mean, if you really think about it, the creator of the universe hanging on a cross so that you wouldn't have to. But the creator of the universe being too powerful for the grave just does something a little different. And then when I come into this space, it's not the mood, but it's the awareness that we have a God who says that he would meet us here that causes me to just be so excited, that caused my heart to hurt that I couldn't come last week. Nothing was going to stop me from being here this week. And it wasn't because I was to preach, but it was because God is in this place. And I believe that you believe that today, and I pray that we're ready to run. If you've been with us for a little while, you know we're walking through Exodus, and we're coming now to the end of chapter 6. A lot to unpack. It's a big movement. Chapter 6 closes out what I would say is the first major movement in the book of Exodus. And then we go into next week, the plagues, chapter 7. And so all that we've gone over from chapter 1 to today is being summarized. And we'll see where God is taking us next week. But in order so that we can appreciate what's happening in chapter 6, I'm going to read a little bit from chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. And chapter 6. See, you thought I was messing around when I said the word of God is good. <clears throat> I believe it, so I'm going to read it. 
If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. I encourage you to grab one. Some of the texts will come up, but I threw a curveball to Kirby. I just feel like reading a little bit more, so it's not all going to come up there, but I encourage you to grab it, read along with us. But before we dive into the reading of the word and prayerfully the unpacking of this great gospel message, I ask that you would pray for me and pray with me that God would move in our midst. Father, we are abundantly grateful that you're faithful and that for reasons that we cannot fully grasp or understand, that you choose to use people to sing your praise, to speak your truth. But we also know that while you use people, you're not dependent on people so that you can and will move mightily in the hearts of your people on this day because of who you are and what you promised to do. So, Father, this morning, with all of the different things that have happened that are happening, would you still our souls and captivate our minds that we might see you rightly and respond rightly to you this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 3. Starting at verse 16. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. Exodus chapter 4, starting at verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. 
verse 20. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of this land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. The word of God is good all by itself. As we look at this great story, the book of Exodus, we see that the Lord met Moses and was speaking to him through a not burning bush. That was a really good point. And as the Lord was speaking to Moses, he introduced himself to Moses and he gave Moses some very clear instructions as we read to let the children of Israel know that their God has heard, he has seen, and he is ready to respond. And to go and let Pharaoh know that now is the time to let my people go. And we jumped over to chapter four and saw that after much conversation, God in his grace and his mercy convinced Moses and the children of Israel to respond rightly to him. And the people believed. 
and they bowed and they worshiped because they were grateful that their God has come to move on their behalf. And then as we would expect, because one, God said it, but Pharaoh lets us know exactly why he would not respond well to this call of God for his people to come and worship him. He says very distinctly, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. He doesn't know God. So we would expect that to be his response to God. I don't know him. I'm not listening to him. Absolutely not. And not only will he not let them go because he was infuriated that the children of Israel would pause from their work, he decides to increase their burdens. That's what we see through the latter part of chapter 5. He enforced a rule for them to continue meeting their quota of making bricks, but he was not going to give them the straw to do it. So now they would have to go find the straw on their own and make the bricks. They couldn't keep up. Because they couldn't keep up, the foremen were being beat. And then the foremen go into the presence of Pharaoh and say, what's going on? We're out here trying to do our work and we can't get it done, but it's not our fault. Your people won't give us what we need to get it done. And then Pharaoh enlightens them to some truth. I'm not changing my mind because you're getting lazy wanting to go and worship instead of work. So now you need to continue to meet the quota and I'm not giving you straw. And that's where we see in the latter part of chapter 5, the children of Israel come back out to see Moses and Aaron. And they let Moses and Aaron that they're not too pleased with what's going on right now. And they essentially say, curse you and the horse that you rode in on, talking about freedom. We don't want any part of it. It's only gotten worse. Get out of here. And Moses turns from hearing that and looks to the Lord and says, Lord, what happened? I imagine the Lord could have very easily said, I told you that was going to happen. I said he wasn't going to let him go. But that's not how the conversation went. God is much more gracious than, than Michael Darboos. I'm still growing. <clears throat> Moses talks to God and lets God know his disgust, if I can use so strong a word. Why did you ever send me? I mean, listen to the ending of this thought. You have not delivered your people at all. You didn't do what you said you were going to do. Pharaoh, we expect him not to respond to God. The children of Israel, though, and Moses, you just bowed down and worshiped this great God who has come to move on your behalf. What happened? It didn't go the way that we thought it would. When you said freedom, we painted the picture. It was supposed to look a certain way. Oh, you're going to let us go. Okay, great. Well, then you're going to do it this way, this way, this way, that way, and then we're free, right? They did not expect for it to go this way, that way. Like, whoa, hold on. Hold on. It wasn't supposed to get worse before it got better. It was just supposed to get better and keep on getting better, right? But that's not what they experienced. So because of their experience, now they look and say, we don't want any part of God, their conditions, 
the circumstances that they were facing caused them to change their mind. And then Moses, after talking to a not burning bush and seeing all of these signs that God has given him, says, man, this is deja vu. Like they rejected me once, now they're rejecting me again. Like why did you ever send me back? I was good in Midian, minding my business. You got me out here being cursed by the people. And he changes his mind. And then we enter into chapter 6 to see this beautiful truth that God never changes his mind. We have an unchanging God. He does not look at circumstances or situations to determine who he is or what he's going to do. No, he's very much aware of his character and what he's capable of. And so God in his unchanging self speaks into this situation completely unmoved by what Pharaoh said, what the children of Israel are looking like, and what Moses is making accusations on. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now? Now, do you see what's happening? Yes, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. And this strong hand, this rush job that he's going to do to send the children of Israel out. Remember, we read it in chapter 3. That was only going to come because God was going to stretch out his hand to strongly encourage Pharaoh sending the people of Israel out with a strong hand. In other words, God is saying, I'm not changing. I said what I said. And I'm going to do what I do. And you're going to see it. And now we see in the rest of chapter 6 that we read that God is reminding Moses and the people of Israel of who he is and what he has said. So that they might get a better picture. So that they can have a different response to him and to their circumstances that are surrounding them. And so God says to Moses in verse 2, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. This word appeared means I have revealed myself. I made myself known to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, as the Almighty, the all-powerful God who can keep his promises. And you need to read through all of Genesis to see how God has revealed his power to his people. But he's letting them know, I have revealed myself to them as God Almighty, but I did not reveal myself to them as the Lord. And this word here where we see name, it's not saying the proper noun by which we call God. It's actually speaking to the character of God, right? his reputation. It's like if we call a football a pigskin. We gave it the name pigskin because it captures what it is, what it's made of. And so when I tell you this is a pigskin, you're like, oh, well, why do you call it pigskin? Because it's made out of pigskin. Oh, that makes sense. It's a pigskin. Got it. <clears throat> right? So this name, the Lord, is to capture the character of God. So if you read through Genesis, you'll see that this is not the first time that God revealed the proper name that he is to be called by. But what God is saying is, this is the first time that I'm revealing this aspect of my character 
to my people. And so we look back at chapter 3 to really get a, a picture of the reminder of what the name of God is to speak to Moses, to the children of Israel, and to you and me today. Back when Moses was on this mountain speaking to this not burning bush, speaking to the Lord, this was a part of the conversation that ensued where God let him know who he is. Verse 13 of chapter 3. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, again, Moses here is not asking if they say, hey, who is God? We just need to know his birth certificate. Like, What was his birth name? No, he's asking if they ask me who you are, what do I tell them about you? Moses is trying to figure this thing out. Because, again, we have to understand and imagine here, Moses is not just going to a people to say, hey, God wants to free you. I know yesterday was a bad day, but today God is going to release you. No, they have been in slavery for 400 years. They want to know, why should we now be convinced that God of our fathers is coming to free us now? What's his name? Who is he? Why should we put our confidence and trust in him? That's the question that's being asked, and this is the answer that God gives. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, this is not God blowing off Moses. No, this is God graciously answering the question of who he is. Why you could put your trust and confidence in him no matter what you've been through and no matter what it looks like. This word I am means to be, but in the context in which it's being used is continuous existence. So in other words, what it's communicating is I have always been and I will always be. It is the same phraseology that Jesus used in the revelation to John in chapters 21 and 22 when he said, I am the alpha and the omega. The beginning and the end, the first and the last, I have always been and I will always be. I am the eternally existent God. That's who I am. And so you can go and let the people know here in verse 14, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you, the eternally existent personally present God has sent me to come to you. Who is he? He is the Alpha and the Omega. He always has been and he always will be. He has not been absent over these last 400 years. He's very much aware of what you've been going through and he's right here right now. And so God goes on to give them this name that they can call him by as a memorial so that they might remember who he is. And so the Lord goes on to tell Moses in chapter 3, verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. The God of your fathers, the God who remember now over all those years with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has already revealed himself as God Almighty, the all-powerful God who is well able to perform his promise. 
So he's saying, I'm still that. That has never changed. But also let them know that I am also the eternally existent, personally present God. And so this name that he gives is to be the name that they call him forever, the scripture says. And thus I am to be remembered. This word can also be translated memorialized throughout all generations. So that when you say this name, it will jog your memory that the eternally existent, personally present, all-powerful God who's well able to perform his promises is right here, right now. When you call me, recognize who I am. And may the reality of who I am change the way that you respond to everything that's going on around you. I am the Lord. When you remember this name, it's not as though God's like, oh, that's my name. No, it's for you. It's for me. So that when we say his name, we might be comforted. We might be reminded. I feel like I'm all alone. But Yehovah is right here, right now. And so when I say his name, I know it may not look good. Circumstances, situations, bad. Actually, even getting worse. But my God, the eternally existent, personally present, all-powerful God, who's well able to perform his promises, is right here, right now. And that brings a peace in the midst of the storm. Michael, it's looking chaotic. The Lord. Now, I know it's bad, but my God is present. And when I remember who he is and what he's done, it brings a peace to my soul that my conditions can't quite explain. But he's introduced himself to me. And so now that I know who he is, it changes how I respond. It changes how I engage. And this is what God was reminding his people. God is not oblivious to the conditions. He knows what Pharaoh said. He knew it was coming. He wasn't shocked what Israel did. He wasn't surprised that Moses was having a flashback. He just knows who he is. He always has been, and he always will be. So your present is his past. Your future is his, his end and his beginning. I don't understand it. Ask me to explain it, and I'll sound just as confusing later, right? Because he exists outside of time. He's not waiting to see what your move is so he can decide what his counter is. He's got all your moves mapped out, and he knows exactly what he's going to do. See, this should bring us great comfort, right? Because if this is our God, then when he said a thing here, he already knew what was going to happen here, and he knows how it's going to play out here, and he already guaranteed that it's done. So when he said it, it was good before it came out of his mouth because he's God. And when we understand this truth, it changes our response. God is present and he's moving in the lives of his people. And he goes on to let Moses know who he is, but also what he said. Verse 4 of chapter 6, I also established my covenant with them, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, 
whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. In other words, I established my covenant with them. I'm making good on my promise with you. I revealed myself to them as God Almighty, and I established my covenant with them. To you, I'm making myself known as the God who is present and personal and who's going to make good on his promise. We need to grab a hold of that today because if we can, then it causes us to do what Moses did, to be willing to bounce back. You know you're right. All right, so what you got for me? I'm ready. Put me back in, coach. I know I got the wind knocked out of me. I wasn't expecting a right hook. I was blocking for a left, but I'm, I'm good now. I'm good. Just put me back in. All right, I'm ready. And so Moses is ready to jump back in, and God's ready to communicate a word to Moses, through Moses, to the people. Verse 5, after the Lord tells Moses, I remembered my covenant. I'm making good on my promise. He goes on to verse 6 to say, say therefore to the people of Israel, because of who I am and what I said I would do, that's the therefore, Because of this truth, now go to the people of Israel and say these words. I am the Lord. Remind them of who I am, like I just reminded you of who I am. And then remind them of what I'm getting ready to do. And God makes seven declarative statements that are based on who he is. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery. To them, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession on the strength of what I am the Lord. I open up these truths with my name and I'm going to close it out with my name because it is done on the strength of who he is. So Moses goes and takes this message to the people and how would they respond? Let's go. No. (laughs) Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Now, before we run past this, before we look down on the children of Israel and think, what? I mean, after all that, I mean, let's go. Thoroughbred in the blocks. Like, why are we still standing here? But don't you identify with the children of Israel? I mean, this is good stuff. But a broken spirit and harsh slavery is no joke. After 400 years of having your spirit broken over and over and over again, it was hard to hold on to hope. It was just everything that they could do in chapter 4 to bow down and worship. And they gave it the good old attaboy, all right. All right, we thought that there may have been some glimpses of a moment, and we, we go, so we're going to do it again. That's the last time. It's the last time. I put, a, put all my hope in it, and it just fell completely flat. Right? And so rather than laughing or mocking the children of Israel, I could identify with the children of Israel. I mean, God, you are 
that circumstance knocked the snot out of me. I didn't see it coming. I didn't know it was going to happen that way. I mean, I went out with just a, a fire in my belly, but I didn't know. I didn't know what it was going to be. And now, dejected, rejected, broken, hurting, I just, no, thank you. I can't. I can't put myself out there again. I just, I won't. It's too hard. It hurts too much. But the Lord, not ignorant to the conditions, but just aware of his character, says to Moses, all right, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. All right, the children of Israel don't want to receive it. That's fine. Go tell Pharaoh to let them go. And Moses, all right, you reminded me of who you are and what you said. Let's go. No, I'm not, I'm not going. Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. This is the third time. And they keep rejecting me. My own people keep saying no. How do you want me to go to Pharaoh now? I can't. Behold, they won't listen. How am I going to go to Pharaoh? My own people keep rejecting me. What am I supposed to do with that? Right? And I'm thinking, well, it's easy to look at Moses. Like, Come on, Moses. The not burning bush. The snake. The leprosy. The blood. I mean, what else do you need, man? I need a little bit more encouragement because this thing is hard. And I feel you, Moses, absolutely. But this is where the story just gets so good. So good. Verse 13. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. God gave Moses and Aaron a charge. It's the same Moses and Aaron that just said, no, I can't. He says, yes, you can, and yes, you will, because of who I am and what I said. And not only will you take what I said, but I'm giving a charge for the children of Israel. You talking about the children of Israel that rejected you two times over? Yes, they're coming out. And I'm giving a charge for Pharaoh. He's letting them go. Uh, God, I really don't think you're understanding the dynamics that are at play here right now. Pharaoh said no, Israelites said no, and I'm saying no. <clears throat> but God is not ignorant to the conditions. He just can't deny himself. Even when we're unfaithful, he still has to be faithful to do what he said because that's his character. It's unchanging. God does not give an apology. My bad, man. I didn't know you were going to be disappointed. I'm sorry. I should have never told you to go. No, there is no sorry in God because he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He has all power and he's good for what he said. I don't need to apologize when I'm in full control and I can make you move to do what I want to see happen so there's no apology what we see here is the unrelenting presence and character of God you reject me you reject me you reject me I cannot reject myself I said I was gonna make good on this promise and I'm showing up 
to do what I said I was going to do. I'm giving a charge. Whether you want to come or not, somebody's being freed today who's on this train. I, I hop on the camel. We, we exit it. Right? This is our God. And the beauty of this story is he's unchanging. So he's the same God today. I should wrap it up. But I can't. Because there's some truth here that we need to wrestle with. So if you're new with us, we usually try to end at a certain time. Sometimes. Today is not that day. <clears throat> because listen, if I leave you with that story, you'll just think about the children of Israel. And what you will miss is that this is the same God who loves you this same God is not distracted. He's not deterred by your difficulties. He's not thrown off or put off by your challenges and your struggles. The fact that you have been underperforming doesn't change the promises of God because his promises were not predicated on your performance, but his character. So God's going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. And so for all of us in this room who have run the race and have stumbled, have fallen, may have even quit sometimes and not quite sure if we want to hop back in, there's a news flash today. We have an unchanging God who's unrelenting in the pursuit of his people. His love does not diminish. It doesn't fall back. It doesn't shrink back. It only builds up more and more. And the more that we find ourselves falling away, the stronger we see him coming in. This is God. God. And he loves you and he wants you for his own. Listen, we need to get out of the pit. And we need to understand who God is. I think to myself sometimes, like, Michael, you know what? I wasn't made to preach in palaces. I'm not refined or regal enough. I get it. And I think about the woodlands. Sometimes, like, you know what, Michael, you probably weren't meant to preach in the woodlands. People in the woodlands are refined and regal. Yeah. Yeah, they, don't, they don't show emotion. They don't like them to just be easy. And then you put you in a Texas A&M game, and then you can get undignified with your Texas A&M football. No, listen, people. <clears throat> this is God. And at some point, I'm going to ease into it. But at some point, we're going to stop sitting on our hands and putting our hands in our pocket, acting like God is just... Some sideshow. This is God. Right? And there's only one right response when you understand who he is. Forget the woodlands, forget the finances, forget anybody's prestige or acclaim. I want to get undignified for God just like David. When you know him and you see him rightly and you know what he's done for you, thank you, Jesus. There's a cross that reminds me that I better get undignified because I was supposed to be up there. There's a grave that reminds me that I should be sitting on my hands dead, but I can raise them because there's a God who loves me and rescued me. And that's what his word tells us. 1 John chapter 4. Don't read a little bit. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us came to life 
that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Listen, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is love. You didn't love him first. He loved you first. And he demonstrated that by sending his son to die for you and for me. Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still rejecting him, broken in spirit, harsh slavery, I don't want to have anything to do with God. Sitting if there's a God, then why am I going through this? While we were speaking like that, while we were saying, yes, Lord, I'll run for you, but it didn't go the way I want, so forget it. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm done with this preaching thing. It only gets me stones. I'm I'm tired of it. While we were in that state of thinking, God loves us, and he comes to us to rescue us from our sins. See, it's not your performance. It's not my performance. It's his grace and his mercy. Don't you want to just raise your hands for a few seconds? I mean, thank you, Kathy. I love you. I appreciate you. Yes. I mean, you just just want to move just a little bit. All right. I'm going to give you a chance to move just a little bit. I'm going to read Romans chapter 8. Somebody's like, Michael, I really can't move. Between you and Jesus. When you hear this one. Does this shut your mouth good? Romans 8, starting at verse 31. Listen to this love. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I'm absolutely, unequivocally certain that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The stables open, people. Hit the hoof, run. I mean, let's go. Let's 
go. Nothing can separate you from his love. Not even yourself. When you understand this, when you believe this to be true, what do you do? What do you say to your circumstances and situations? I know slavery has been harsh. I know my spirit has been broken through the things that I've been through. But I've been reintroduced. I've been reminded of a love that never lets go. Of an eternally existent, personally present, all-powerful God who makes good on his promises. I look my circumstances in the eye and I defy them. Because the creator of the universe. I'm tired. Tired of living defeated. When we've got God. I know it's hard. And I know it hurts. But at some point, people of God, we just got to put our foot down and say, you know what? Enough is enough. You're not going to keep wiping this ground with me. I'm holding on to the unchanging, unrelenting love of God. I've been sent to preach in the pits. And I'm glad to stay right there and preach this good news. Because the pits weren't made for us. And the same God who rescued me out of my pit of despair is here to rescue us now. And when we find ourselves slipping up, tripping up, and falling back in, God says, son, that wasn't meant for you. Let's go. Let's go. Do you find yourself in that pit? Do you find yourself broken, hurting, and in despair? It's a lot of words for one simple message. I am has sent me to you to let you know that the Lord, the God of your fathers, God Almighty, is in the room. And because he's present, you don't have to stay stuck in your pain. But listen, while his promises are not based on your performance, your response to his character will determine how you experience his promise. So you and I can leave here today a people of praise. Not because of what we are going through, not because of what things look like, but because of who he is. Because of who he is. Will we praise him today? Will we worship him today? Will we remember who he is and respond based on who he is and not what's happening? Today is the day, people of God. You're going to leave here. And the circumstances and the situations aren't just going to magically disappear. They could if God so desired. But many of us are going to walk back into some storms. But I challenge you to remember the captain of your ship. He's making it to his destination. Will we respond rightly to him? And like Jesus, just rest in the boat because God's here. I want to invite the worship team to come back up and lead us in a song of praise. So we're preparing our hearts to praise the I am.
I want to take just a few moments. Quiet reflection. You and Jesus. What is it? What conditions? Situations? Have caused you to respond to God with rejection? I can't. I've tried. I'm done. What have you been trying to hold yourself to and saying, when I perform well enough, then I'll feel like God loves me? Identify those things. And I want to encourage you to bring them to the Lord. Don't leave here carrying those weights. You weren't good enough to save yourself. It's grace and mercy. And you're not going to be great enough to keep yourself. That's grace and mercy. And God loves you with a love that will never let go. And if we can hold on to that and walk in that, we walk out of here a changed people. And so just for a few moments, it's probably going to be for many of us the most important few moments of our week. And I pray that it is so, so that we can leave here with a right view of God and that we might respond rightly to him. And give you a few moments. You can kneel, stand, lay prostrate, go to the back, whatever you need to do, you and Jesus. And I'm going to pray for us. And we'll continue in some time of prayer.